And you have the Epcot Centre and a whole bunch of other stuff around world. Okay, Whereas so Anaheim's but in But you don't want to go to Florida because they're all crazy Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's my impression anyway. It's, it's probably the, the, the tamest of the things that Philippa has said <laughs> when she expresses her political views. But uh, Yeah, I'm, yes. It won't be the last time in this uh, time we have together, <laughs> Alan, was, that she will make you missed, some comment. <laughs> I'm assuming the podcast on Friday right at the end. Andy said something so controversial that I think we'd be cancelled if it went out. Oh, wow. Well, normally I'm the <laughs> arbiter, so I expect Dee will send me a clip and go, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> right, shall we crack on then? Hi, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Philippa Sturt, and alongside me is my co-host, Simon Walsh. Hello, Pippa. Hi, Simon. And today we're joined by Alan Donegan. Hi, Alan. Hi, how are you, Pippa and Simon? Very good, thank you. We are good. I'm just going to give people a little bit of a background about you, Alan. Alan's co-founder of the award-winning Rebel Business School, Rebel Finance School, and the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. He became financially independent at 40 years old and now uses his time to help people from all walks of life start their own businesses, take control of their finances and avoid debt. So, Alan, it doesn't sound like the answer to this is anything, but what's keeping you up at night? (laughs) Absolutely nothing if you're financially independent. I'd be sleeping like a baby. Not a lot. Like, at the moment, we're creating a course uh, called the Extraordinary Life Course and writing that, making sure it's the best I can make it to be. But it's like a positive, I'm awake at night. You know that, like, two forms of stress, stress and you stress, or whatever it's called. Like, awake because you're thinking interesting shit, rather than awake because you're panicking. Exactly. I'm just excited. I want to get on with it. I want to make it the best I can and help as many people as I can. And I think it's a nice way, like, I don't want to fall asleep because I have fun stuff to do. That is it's nice. possible. I'm <laughs> looking forward to that one day. Philippa's looking at me going, really I don't like that, that answer, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So how did all this start, Alan, the rebel stuff start? The rebel stuff all started because I wanted to build a business and I wanted to build a business because I got fired from my last job and I couldn't find a job that I wanted. (laughs) Uh, We might have to rewrite the question. (laughs) Okay, so you got fired and you were wondering what to do with yourself. And I wanted to build a business. So I went to the British government for support Uh, launching my business and at the time they had this thing called business link that gave you three workshops how to write a business plan super exciting Uh, finance which is a code word for debt it's like where to get the money to launch and marketing not from a bank like they had banks listed to help you for you to ring up so the bank could laugh down the phone at you and put the phone down and they did How long ago was this? This was uh, in 08, Um, so right at the height of the recession. Great time to start a business. Thank you. Yeah, I've always had good timing. Uh, And they did more to put me off starting a business than they did to help me. I did not want to go into debt. My family had a bad history with debt. And I just, like, after that, I was left lost, thinking, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go into debt. And that sent me off on a path of how do you build a business without going into debt? How can I get started without doing what everyone tells you you have to do in business? And that was the genesis of the whole idea. And the whole idea is? That you don't need debt to build a business. So, okay, 
I think I probably know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How do how do you start building a business if you you're not going to borrow from a bank? We've got like five different key ways. The main one, like the biggest principle that's changed everything I did, was sell before you create which is the exact opposite of what most entrepreneurs do. Most entrepreneurs, most people who want to start a business, create everything first and then they sell. So they build the product, they order the books, they make the T-shirts, and then they go out and sell and go, "Uh, is this good? And if you do it that way, you have to borrow money to get the stuff to be able to sell. So you just need a lot of capital particularly depending on what it is you're doing. But if you're doing anything that isn't basically app-based or software as a service, then you are going to need some capital. And even if it is app-based, you're going to need some uh, money to pay a designer. So what we then said is we'll do the opposite, sell before you create. So if you are designing a product, just get the idea create the web page, put it up to sell. Like things that have facilitated this are things like Kickstarter uh, and the different platforms that allow you to fund. It's not fund, it's pre-sales. You're selling it before you've created it. So before you build the T-shirt, see if anyone wants to buy it. Before you write the training course, see if anyone wants to buy it. If no one wants to buy it, then you've saved yourself a huge amount of time, pain and heartache. Uh, which you would have got after you've created it. Like nothing's going to change creating it. The market still decides whether they want what you offer or not. Alan, how do you deal with the situation though where somebody says, oh, that's an amazing idea, show me a working prototype? Depending what it is, you have to build certain amount of it. But there's ways to show people what you're doing to prove it's work, to do free samples. And I guess the most extreme example of what I'm saying is people sell houses from plans before even breaking ground. Like they literally take you to an empty field and go, here, look, this is where the kitchen will be. Imagine the window and they show you the plans and you imagine it and you hand over a deposit, you hand over money before the thing is even built. So they have developed a plan They've sold you on the plan, but they haven't broken ground or built anything yet. So I think if you can sell a house before it's created, like you can sell anything before it's created. Uh, This was Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos' whole thing, wasn't it? I mean, effectively, she sort of, you know, had this idea. Yeah, but she didn't create (laughs) it. No, 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 but she she still sold the the idea. uh, Yeah, that's how she raised so much money. She just forgot about (laughs) She forgot about delivering on your promise, which, if you want a business to last, yeah, it's got to deliver. Because otherwise, I believe the word is what's that word? Fraud? Fraud? Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) She gave it a good go. Now you make a really valid point, though. You know, most of us are quite happy to go and you know pay a developer, you know, a deposit of hundred grand, if uh, which would probably buy you a nice apartment in some countries, not this one. But yeah, you're right. It's you know that whole concept of like sort of effectively funding the development of your own property is is not unusual in that sector. So why shouldn't the same principles apply in other sectors? It can apply in any sector, and I don't care whether your audience want to launch like a t-shirt business, whether they want to launch a product, a service, it doesn't really matter. The principle works. The problem is, is people don't want to do the sales work. The word sales, like if we were to play the word association game with you right now, if I say the word salesman, what's the first word that comes to mind, Pippa and Simon? What's the first word? For me, it was wanker. What was it for you? <laughs> 
smarmy, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And the entire world thinks that sales is a smarmy, out to get what they want, uh, like shiny suits, used car salesmen, windows. Wide, pushy. Yeah, almost. and yeah. sales is not that, but it's got that image. So no one wants to do sales. No one wants to build that. So they actually avoid doing the thing they need to do most to launch the business by doing the other stuff of designing the website, of spending their time uh, interviewing customers and doing all these things that is basically putting off what they actually need to do, which is sell it, because sales is what brings in the money that builds your business. Do you think part of that is the British psyche as well? I mean, I would say that of the various different areas on the planet, Britain is a bad place to be a salesman because everybody's deprecating. Nobody wants to actually big up what they do and they feel stupid doing it. I, I don't think it's restricted to Britain. I mean, Australia's the same. You know, so I think salespeople have the same reputation globally. It doesn't matter whether you I don't you're... know. I think you go to America and everybody sells themselves. That's the first thing they do. Mm, okay. Hi, so, I'm yeah. so and so, and I'm amazing at X. So I think <laughs> Pippa has a point that it is particularly strong in the British culture, and Simon is right; it's a global thing. I have run our business course in Namibia, Houston, all across the US. Uh, we've got a franchise in New Zealand; it's run in Colombia, and pretty much everywhere you go, people will say sales equals bad salesman equals bad and they come up with the words about it but it's less accepted in british society whereas the americans are more outgoing they do sell more they're more used to it as a culture whereas we like even the mention of like are you trying to sell to me is like frowned upon and it's like yes i'm trying to sell you but i'm trying to sell you something that will help you like allow me to give you something that will help you and that's the root of sales is find someone with a problem offer them something that will fix it and then charge them for it and if you do their life is better your life is better and everyone improves that's the root of sales, but people see it as selling against other people's wishes. It's like you're selling something, you're forcing it upon them and conning them out of money. But that's not what true sales is. With this sort of global business, and I think sort of you, you some of the statistics we've seen from you are that you've sort of had 20,000 plus people through your courses. I'm not asking you to divulge any confidential information, but do you track then their success at building their business without debt? Yes, the longest out we've tracked is over five years, because um, actually the tracking is a huge mission, um, and we don't actually get paid to do the tracking. We get paid to run the course, but you kind of need to do the tracking to prove. The success rate of people starting with businesses without debt is actually far higher, and I think the reason for that is because it's quite difficult to fail if you don't start with debt, because you don't have the repayments and you don't have the pressure. And if you don't sell it, you just switch to something else and you just switch to something else until you find something that does sell. Whereas if you start with debt, you've built the product, you've built all the stuff, you've spent all the money and then you go out there, there is huge pressure because you either succeed and pay back the debt or you fail quickly and you go into bankruptcy and all the other bad stuff that happens. So I actually think your chances of failure are higher with debt Without debt, you can just pivot to a new thing. You can change direction. You can sell something else. If it doesn't work, you haven't really lost anything. That's the core fundamental principle for us is if you're going to fail, fail fast and fail cheap. 
And of those businesses you track, Alan, the, the most successful, are there sectors in which you've found that your past customers have had more success or is it kind of a little bit sector agnostic? It's sector agnostic. Like when you said about successful businesses, the one that jumped to mind was an escape room in Reading in Berkshire. It's a fabulous escape room, a lovely couple that run it called Time Trap. Do you know, I think I've actually done that escape room. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> so much fun. I love an yes, escape room. Yes, me too. There's so much fun. And they've got like a team of 10. They've built several rooms. Like they've been going for years and they've done really well out of it. But there's photography businesses and food businesses and we help launch a drone flying school and like every business you could imagine. And I think the reason for this is because we asked the question, what are you excited about doing? Because so many people, when they're launching a business, launch a business with something they don't actually like doing, which has always confused me. You can launch any business in the world and you choose something you don't like to do. Why would you ever do that? But people do it. So we kind of hammer home the point of choose something you actually like doing then you will want to get out of bed and doing it. Then you end up with the feeling that I've got of like, I don't want to fall asleep because I actually enjoy what I'm doing. This is why I've said this before on the podcast. This is kind of my fundamental problem, which is I really like having baths and reading books. <laughs> and it's quite hard to make a living doing those two things. Unless you're a proofreader, I suppose. <laughs> But I'm probably not going to make the living I want to make doing those two things. I thought we were going to talk about waterproof books. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, now that you say that, that's not a bad idea. So, like, I completely get what you're saying. And I think there is always a way to make money with something around it. And I've always been strong on this. And I, I remember specifically putting out a post saying, you can make money doing something you enjoy. And this one person replied to the post saying, I enjoy sleeping like get lost. And I never really had an answer to that until I met this guy that we worked with. He came to one of our courses in Scotland and he launched a business reviewing mattresses. So he wrote a blog reviewing mattresses and he would get mattresses. He would sleep on them. He would review them. And he was making a hundred grand a year on affiliate fees selling mattresses. I was going to say, how much money can you legitimately make? But clearly like a quite decent a amount of money. Or you could invent like the chillo or whatever. There's ways to get involved in different ways. And I think sometimes people get so stuck on, I like doing exactly this, that they don't explore the ways to get involved, where the money is. And sometimes the money isn't where you want it to be. So the classic of that is like knitting, like actually knitting stuff and selling it. There's not necessarily that much money in it because it's produced in China and sold for tuppence at wherever it's sold. However, the teaching of how to knit, the working in different ways in the industry, there is money there. So it might not be in the doing, it might be in the teaching, it might be around it, but you can be involved in the thing you love and still make good money. But I don't think people get creative about how they want to be involved in those things. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 and while the world has changed a bit it's more than just survived from complying with the FCA and all things financy they can also speak fluently in the language of legalese 
Maury Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way Maury Clark's door's always open and happy to provide Straight, talking, financial and legal advice since 1935 Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. So hang on. We were at 2008 and you just got fired and you were thinking of starting your own business. And I'm still not hugely clear on how we got from there to here. So I wanted to start my own business. The British government put me off. I then started thinking, well, like, how do I start? How do I go? I started reading books. And I think the big moment, I sent a letter of complaint to the person in central government his name was Glenn Atherthold, that funded the entire of the Business Link project. And I sent him a three-page handwritten letter saying what I thought of his service. I thought he was thrilled. Um, <laughs> I was not expecting this. He rang me. So he rang me and we chatted for almost an hour and he tried to help me. And he's like, we're not all like this. Like, I know you've had a bad experience. We're not all like this. Here's some ideas. And he said, let me find someone that can help you. So he went off and he came back and he set up this appointment and I went to the Starbucks in Winchester at 8am to meet this guy sent to me from Business Link and his name was Simon and we had this chat about business, how to start up, what to do, he gave me ideas. He, was, he actually really cared about supporting me and our chat was mainly about is debt the best way to start a business? And he was working in this slightly different section of Business Link that was trying to help disadvantaged communities build businesses. And he'd had the same realisations of business plans and debt actually put people off that I'd had, but from a different perspective. And we made friends. We talked over a long period. That long period, I built a successful corporate training business. Uh, and eventually we came together and decided to write a training course to try and do what we felt the Business Link service didn't do properly. So we wrote this course, How to Build a Business with No Debt, and we sold it to a housing association in Western Supermare, uh, and they bought a two-week course, and they sent us to the Bourneville Estate in Western Supermare, which was at the t- Oh, fantastic. At the time, it was one of the most deprived estates in the country. I mean, it was built with all the right intentions right originally they were trying to help people they were trying to help people but sometimes that doesn't go well you try and help people but you actually have a negative effect and we persuaded 40 people to turn up so we had 40 people in this random furniture warehouse in western supermare and we spent two weeks with them and simon and i just spent the entire two weeks trying to help them launch businesses with no debt that was it and that was the genesis of the whole thing and out of that original experience, Alan, were, were there any businesses successfully launched? Yeah, there were some incredible different businesses, all sorts of different things. Uh, and we're just celebrating our 10-year anniversary. And on the 10-year anniversary post, I was amazed to see how many of those people from that first course were commenting, going, I was there at the beginning and I built this business. And there's a wonderful lady saying, you helped me found my husband. I came for a business course, but I found my husband. Um, and it's just like... 
one of the secrets to what we do is we sell it as a starter business course, but actually what we deliver is how to change your mindset, how to think positively, self-development, and like the actually how to start a business is fairly easy, but like thinking and changing the way you think, so you're excited every morning, so you're positive, so you actually believe it's possible, uh, that really changes things for people. And Alan, what what is the rebel business model? Are you do you franchise your courses? I mean, you you spoke in my mind. I'm very very kind of admirable of anyone who kind of has a global business, which clearly you do. But is it all kind of owned by you, or do you do you license your course material? Just talk to us a little bit about how you've sort of gone from kind of being ostensibly a, a UK based business to a global business. So Simon and I run the UK business or Simon runs most of it. He does most of the work and uh, we run that together. There's the team of people. We sell the courses to councils and housing associations who pay us to run the courses. And then we give away the courses to the communities that need it the most. So no one has ever paid to come on one of our courses. They're all done for free. Oh, so, so you're still you're still Simon from Business Link all those years ago. Is still your he's still my partner. business partner. Amazing. Ten years later, we're still working on it together. And then it's it's changed in different countries. So in France, the head of HEC Paris, one of the biggest business schools in France, heard me on a podcast talking about debt free startup. And they were running a community project for black African Caribbean women in the suburbs of Paris that wasn't working. And they were teaching venture capital startup and a lot of like the MBA level startup things. And I was there going, that will put people off. He, we flew out to Paris and yeah, they licensed our course, which is one of the things I'm most proud of. Like a top university licensed what I wrote with Simon uh, and run it across the suburbs of Paris. And that one led to the wealthiest man in Morocco who's working to become president. He made a pledge to start 1,000 new businesses and he contacted his ex-business school, which was HEC Paris, and said, like, can you help me do it? And Paris said, like, you should speak to Rebel Business School. So they now then run our course in Arabic and French across Morocco. Uh, in New Zealand, it's a franchise. In Colombia, like uh, the two people in Colombia are some of the most inspiring people I've met. They've just gone out, found the money. They've got a recent thing that's founded by, funded by the Hilton Foundation and they're giving away the business courses to refugees from the conflict, uh, conflict survivors, people who have fled from Venezuela, and they're helping the people who need it the most to actually make their own money and trade control of their life. So it's different all over the world. And I just get so inspired to go out there and help people to set this stuff up and make a difference in their community. Because if they make their own money, they're in control of their own lives. If they're just like waiting for stuff to happen to them or to be given something, like they're in trouble. But Alan, was that always part of the plan where you thought, okay, well, when I, when I become independent, financially, kind of my business model is going to shift from being profit-focused to being much more altruistic and kind of philanthropic? Is Was that kind of the catalyst for you? So I, I have a conflict in my world because I always wanted to run a business, like help people start business schools, like when we started it. And I had this thing in my head, how can you be a business school and teach people how to run businesses if you don't make your own money? 
because most of the people teach how to start a business have never made any money of their own business or started a business. You've got bank managers, you've got university lecturers, you've got people who talk about how to start a business and they've never run one. So I had this thing of we have to make money. Like if we're going to teach how to make money, we have to make our own money. So that was always a very strong thing. And I think profit and making money allows you to do more good in the world. So I actually see capitalism as a force for good. So I never had a problem with making money because the more money I make, the more people I can help, the more cool stuff I can do, the better I can make things. So I have a big drive to make cash. And I do not see those two things as opposing, if that makes sense. Yeah. But you had to get to that point where you were making enough cash that you could then kind of, you know, sort of really sort of, you know, kind of feel like you were having an impact. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then like you get to the actual financial independence bit, which is like the personal finance journey. So my wife and I like saved everything we earned. We invested it all. uh, And we got to the point where our investments make more on a yearly basis than we need to live. So we don't actually need to work anymore. And then that's allowed us to create different courses and do different things without actually having to monetize it and sell it to councils, housing associations. Um, Three years ago, we built a finance course and we did it because it was the right thing to do at the height of the pandemic when everyone was suffering, not because we were trying to make money. Uh, And that's changed because we've hit that number. Whereas when I started the business school, I had to pay my mortgage and like buy food and all of that stuff. So you have to make cash to live. You cannot just give it away. How good are you at when these people come through your doors and they've all got amazingly different ideas? Can you tell which ones are going to be successful? Oh, great question. Like, I have a feeling whether they're going to be successful or not. However, so many of those people who come through the door come to me because I run the courses and they go, Alan, do you think my idea will be successful? And I go, well, I have a feeling, but I I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict it. And actually, there is only one way to know whether your business will be successful or not. And that is to ask the market. And I can't answer whether your business will be successful or not. The only question I can answer is, would I buy it? And then they kind of get the idea and they go, Alan, would you like to buy my X, whatever it is? And uh, sometimes... <laughs> and you go, no. Yeah, off. sometimes I go, yes. Sometimes I go, no, it's not for me. Um, but that's what you have to do. So then we actually get to the point of go and ask 100, 1,000 people if they will buy. That is the only true feedback. But even even that question in itself and your response to that is actually changing their mindset because you know, they probably hadn't thought to go and ask the market whether the market actually wants the shit that they're trying to create. So, <laughs> If I ever do actually get on with my startup, that is the next step that I have to do. <laughs> and I just, it's so exhausting thinking about doing it that I can't be bothered. You had the perfect week this week because it hasn't stopped bloody know, raining. I so. Alan, I should explain that I continually talk about this startup idea, which is, um, it has the working title of Uberella. So umbrellas in London that you can access and use and you pay for them when you use them and then you put them back. Interesting. Only I think if I actually called it Uberella, Uber would sue me. I'm still going to call, if I ever found the company, it's going to be called Panicky Canopy. Limited. Oh, I love that. I love that. If I can just add to what you're saying, what most people do at that point that you've got to is they do market research and they go out there and they say, would you buy this? My thought was buy a load of cheap umbrellas, go and stand outside like 
you know, fit the theatre or whatever and see if people are willing to buy them. Basically, you hand them out for free and see if people would take them just to see whether it's something that people would actually consider. And that's the key. It's would they consider it? But I think like with the British public, you've got to be very careful because if you ask, would you like to do this or would you consider it or you're giving them something for free, they will be nice to you. Like, people in general don't want to hurt your feelings and they will be nice. What you have to do is ask for the money because it is only when you ask for the money that they will give you their real feedback. They will say yes or no. Up until that point, up until you ask for the cash, people will be nice to you and that does not help you. Okay, so this is the bit where we ask you for some business concept or something that people think it's business, but you personally think it's absolute bullshit. Is there something like that that you want to bring to the table? (laughs) There's been a few throughout this. Business plans, in general, complete bullshit, like writing a plan to borrow money. Yes, because I get asked to look at an awful lot of business plans. And I know that investors will pick up that business plan and they will turn to the page that shows what the three-year or five-year forecast for the business is and read that. And then they'll turn to the page that has the pictures of all the people that are on the board and read that. And that's it. But yeah, they are pretty pointless and people spend an awful long time on them. And they're also probably largely fictitious. Yes, because basically what people go is the entire size of the market. They go, okay, the market is X billion in the UK. If we can secure 1% of the market, we will make X. And it's like completely made up. Like go out and get a customer... And if you had paying customers, the business meeting would be completely different because they'd say, "Okay, you've got X customers. You're already making X profit. You're asking us to do this. That's a no brainer. Whereas it's a real risk if it's made up in just like, I'm going to take my finger and put it in the air and see what percentage of the global market we can take. What a load of rubbish. What I really love is that bit where people, there's always a page in the business plan that says, the global market (laughs) for this thing is like, you know, (laughs) 20 billion or, you know, 200 billion. And so we only need, we only need like two customers to make this a success or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, but does anybody want to buy your disgusting (laughs) thing, Chris? or whatever it happens to be, you know. (laughs) This, Alan, is our quickfire round, which is where we try and get to know you a bit more quickly by asking you, or a bit deeper, by asking you some very quick questions. Perfect. Okay, so DQ the music. So, Alan, what was your first job? My first job was working for my dad packing bags in his sportswear shop on a Saturday morning. Okay. You, and that's not the one you got fired from, I hope. <laughs> Your dad fired you. That would be harsh. If only he could. Uh, what was your worst job? My worst job was probably uh, strimming lawns, strimming, like, medians in London in the rain and then you hit a dog turd and it like sprays shit in your face it's probably the worst mornings I've ever had in my life is sniffing dog shit that I've just strimmed into my face changes the meaning of the word I've had a shitty day doesn't it there you go Uh, Alan what was your favourite subject at school I think Probably maths, because I loved the teacher. Shout out to Mr. Kimber. He was awesome and he inspired me. It was all about the teacher. And what's your special skill? My special skill, running courses, creating PowerPoints. My business partner would say making things happen. 
And uh, Alan, what did you want to be when you grew up? I always wanted to work with my dad. That was my one dream. He was an entrepreneur. Until you had your first job and then that put you off Oh, that, it did so. not go well. It did not go well. The whole thing fell to pieces very dramatically. What did your parents want you to be when you grew up? Uh, my mum wanted me to get a good education and not work for my dad. And my dad wanted me to work for my dad. Okay, that's a divorce, like brewing that. Well, and very, very interesting dynamic at the family dinner table every evening, no doubt. And the divorce <laughs> happened whilst I worked for my dad, so that was not a good time. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, office dogs, business or bullshit? I'm allergic to dogs, so I would say bullshit. Uh, however, I could see how it would make some people very happy. Okay, uh, now this is this is why I was laughing earlier. One of these questions is, have you ever been fired? We know the answer to that question. A so. few times yes, and yes, signed yes. some contracts to say I can't oh, talk about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've been paid to leave twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, what's your vice? The vice is food, I think. I love food too much. I don't see it as a source of fuel. I see it as a source of pleasure. Uh, and, like, it's just food is too good. Fantastic. This is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your company, your podcast. So where you go. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Having reached financial independence, all I want to do is help. So if you want help launching a business and make more money, go to Rebel Business School. If you want help sorting out your personal finances, go to Rebel Finance School. If you want help creating the life of your dreams, come to the Extraordinary Life course. Other than that, the biggest gift you can give me is working on a life you actually don't want to run from. Fantastic. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. And we'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then... It's ciao. It's ciao. (laughs) It is ciao.